1970. This is Greg Duncan. This is Josh Garbrick. This is Paul Hacker. Gentlemen, our first show of the year. You know, we should do something special for the first show of the year. What do you guys mind? What do you guys think we should do? Okay, I'll tell you what. First, we're going to catch up because it's been a while and, you know, everybody's had life and stuff. Josh, what's new with you, man? Uh, well, probably the biggest thing is that my book is finally out. So I'm excited about that. Uh, it came out beginning of December. So um, it's out there Amazon uh, print and ebook, which is pretty cool. And other than that, I've just been uh, you know, enjoying the time, the holidays with, the, with my family and um, working, working, keeping busy. <laughs> uh, what's your book about again? It's about migrating to Azure. So a lot of the backstory around um, taking an existing application and thinking through different scenarios and how it makes sense to actually move that application to the cloud. Is it for an IT guy or dev guy, both similar? It, it's kind of for both. There's, there's parts in there for each each side of the fence, I suppose you could say. <laughs> um, there's uh, The biggest thing is, is kind of taking it from the perspective of someone who um, – wants to move their application, but is kind of overwhelmed by the fire hose made out of fire hoses. That is <laughs> the offerings from the portal and everything else. So um, keeping things in mind, like uh, location and uh, resiliency, redundancy, things like that. Yeah. I'm raising my hand because I'm, I'm one of those people who are trying to move our operations to Azure and there's like 127 different services and there's different flavors of different things and some's in preview mm. and some's in V2. It's just so freaking overwhelming. Scary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm hoping that the, some of the stuff that I've put together in there is, is helpful for folks. Good. And yeah, Azure's how old? Do you guys remember off the top of your head? No. But it's well, not that old. 12 years? What? 12 years somewhere. Dude, you're smoking crack. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got to look that up. Da, 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 da. Azure status. Oh, history. No, I won't do it. Microsoft Azure. Wikipedia will have the answer. Oh, you're pretty Maybe you should good. Try Carta. Pretty good. Azure was announced in October 2008. And it was started as Project Red Dog. Josh, you're good, man. It's like you should write a book or something about Azure. <laughs> I'll just chalk that up to the trivia gods being nice to me. <laughs> so, Paul, what have you been up to, man? Yeah, so, well, like Josh, you know, I enjoyed, and a lot of other people enjoyed uh, some family time at the holidays, took a little break from travel, from work, and uh, stayed home, which was nice. I, uh, uh, Other than that, it's actually, uh, I've been home for a couple of weeks, which is really an anomaly. Um, I'm pretty much on the road, you know, talking DevOps with customers, which is always the great thing to do. So I kind of feel out of sorts here being home. Uh, <laughs> I, I mentioned to get back on the road, which I'll be doing quite soon. So, uh, but yeah, other than that, not much. I did a, I sat with Jeffrey Palermo. Your listeners may know who that is. And uh, I did a um, episode of the DevOps show with him on Azure DevOps. And so, yeah, that was uh, that was fun time with him. So, yeah, we actually talked a little bit about migrating to, to the cloud and things like that. Hmm. Cool. But that's pretty much it. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I, like I said, we need to do something special, something that's like a tradition. And we're going to have a special guest on, I think. Um, this special guest is a principal DevOps manager of The League. The League is a team of cloud developer advocates focusing on Azure and DevOps. And before joining Microsoft, he spent seven years as a process consultant and certified Scrum master. He has traveled the globe helping companies develop solutions using agile practices in many industries. 
He is an avid programmer, often finding ways to integrate software into his hobbies and activities. And some of the other things that he's done from the past is run the nation's fastest growing online registration sites for motorsports. And was one of his hobbies is a professional air hockey where he was ranked as high as 11th in the world. You all know who this is, right? I, I don't even have to tell you all. Mr. Donovan Brown, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me again. I can't believe it's been a year already, though. That's unbelievable that it's been a year already. I feel like I was just chewing your ass yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I got a big fat ass, so you know you can hardly even tell. <laughs> I kept seeing all these tweets. Don't be mean to him this time. Stop being mean to him. Like, dude, I just spoke the truth. <laughs> yeah, no, I deserved it. I deserved everything. I will try my best not to. I will not be mean this time. I want to be nice. <laughs> Unless you say something stupid, then I'll say I'll be mean again. Absolutely. Call me out on stupidity. Well, okay. You only get like the first five stupid statements. All right, all right. All right. Okay. Five is enough. Five is enough. <laughs> so, dude, 2018, that was quite a year, man. What have you been up to since uh, the last show? Oh, uh, wow. So we rebranded uh, VSTS for the 19th time. So uh, <laughs> no one change your, your names or anything because we're going to change it again, I'm sure, before we all know it. But yeah, so I've been trying to survive the rename. Uh, I've had a lot of people freak out as if the product were drastically different now that we called it something else. I'm like, it's just as good as it was yesterday. <laughs> we just call it something else. Everyone calm down, right? So trying to survive that. But uh, the verticalization, I think, has been great because it allows people to really see that they can use what portions of it they need and they don't have to throw out everything and then basically rip and replace their their current tool chain they can basically augment it with some of the services from azure devops which is great uh so been promoting that quite a bit so i was really proud and honored that the azure devops team pulled back for the launch of it so james cole and i did a big keynote launch event where we showed all the new features we just talked about the collaboration with open source we have one of the best open source offerings in the world we're giving you like the 10 concurrent free pipelines unlimited build minutes on mac windows and linux it's just amazing right so keeping up with all that still traveling the world i was doing some statistics the other day i was gone 295 days last year uh traveling around just preaching a good sermon on, on DevOps all across the world. So this year I hope to get nowhere near that number. <laughs> uh, I'm like, Paul, I've been home for two and a half, three weeks now, and, I'm, and luckily I leave tomorrow because I don't think I could stay home any longer uh, than that without feeling <laughs> weird. So tomorrow I start and I don't stop again for a few months. So uh, your, your statement about don't rename your site, that was just a, a personal uh, a statement, no forward-thinking uh, no, not at all, not at all, no, not at all. I don't know any renames coming, but I never seem to know when renames are coming. <laughs> just wake up one day and it's VSO, and the next day it's VSTS, and the next day it's Azure DevOps. You're just like, wow. All don't right, forget. so call it whatever you want. Yeah, don't forget I call it Foundation AZD Services. It. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I remember that one, too. I mean, yeah. I was there for Team Foundation Server. Paul Hacker and I used to work at Notion Solutions together back in 2006, like right when it really started getting popular. So you know, I've been there from the very beginning, every rename that's ever been, right? So Radio TFS is, like I said, I heard your last show. It's like, I'm just going to leave it for a couple of years. I would. I would not touch it. <laughs> so, hey, Donovan, well, um, the, our listeners probably don't need to know or a reminder of what DevOps really is. But would you start off with just explaining it so we all have a level playing field of, you know, what Microsoft and what DevOps is? 
Sure. So at Microsoft, we define it as the union of people, process, and product to enable continuous delivery of value to our end users. Some people say, well, that's kind of vague. It's like not really vague. It's open is the right word because it's really all about the value. And if you focus on value, the rest of that sentence makes perfect sense. Some people's like, why didn't you use software? Because it's not about delivering software. It is literally about delivering value. And by defining it around value instead of software, you don't alienate anyone. Right. If you're not the person writing the software and I use the word software, you might think that you're not important in this process, but you are because our goal is actually value. And I use the example of Black Friday or Cyber Monday where you don't have to change a single line of the software to actually deliver value. You can scale up or scale out your infrastructure and you're going to be delivering value to the tens of thousands of people who are going to be trying to access that particular website. Another reason I like to focus on value is because value is the responsibility of the QA team, the ops team, the devs team, program managers, sales team, everybody. And now we're all going to be incentivized to deliver value, not something that might actually contradict or, or impede the progress of someone else. If all we're trying to worry about is, let me give you another example. For example, historically, whenever I've met customers, the operations team is incentivized and rewarded for keeping the lights on the servers on where the engineers and the developers are actually encouraged and motivated and rewarded to change those servers as much as possible. Well, we all know the easiest way to keep a server stable is to not change it. So if I want to get the big bonus as an ops person, I'm going to do everything that I can to prevent you from changing that server, which is in a, in a, a, it's the exact opposite of what I need you to be doing as a developer because the only way I get the big bonus is to change that server as much as I possibly can. So we're actually teaching them to work against each other. Not, not explicitly. We're not trying to do that, but that's what you've done. You've basically said to get the big bonus, stop the other side. And what you should be saying is to get the big bonus, you two better work together, right? Because if you don't, then no one's going to get that bonus. And focusing on value allows us to do that. Focusing on value also allows us to focus on the fact that you, you can't just assume that you've delivered value. You have to have a way to measure that you've actually delivered value. If we have a website and we deploy five pages to that website and nobody accesses those pages, you did not deliver value. You just copied five files to a server. But you're going to argue that, no, I was doing exactly what was on the top of our product backlog. It's supposed to be in priority order, so I did deliver value. But if you can't measure it, you can't prove it. And it's okay to do the thing top on your product backlog and then have numbers that say that wasn't valuable because now we realize that our product backlog is in the wrong order. Right? Let's go back and reprioritize our product backlog because what we thought was important, the numbers show us, is not important. And we need to do less of that. And then many times you're going to get lucky and those numbers are going to go in the right direction. You're like, yep, we need to do more of that. So it's really important, again, to focus on value so you get everyone involved and you know that you have to measure what you're doing. And we believe to do that, you need three things. You need the people on board, you need a process that's going to guide you, and products are going to enable you to um, apply that process. So that's that one sentence. It sounds like one sentence, but when you really start to break it down and think about, and I did for 30 days, every word of that sentence, it really starts to, to blossom into an understanding of what your company needs to do to transform. So that and, and that's great. I, I'm so on board with the uh, the value piece of that. But one of the questions I have for you, Donovan, is when you're talking to customers, where do you see the biggest hurdle for the customers? Is it the people? Is it the process? Or the actual product itself that they choose to use to help with that? Almost almost nine out of ten times, it's the people. The reason why is because 
we're all creatures of habit. None of us really want to change or, or like change. We like doing it the same way that we've always been doing it, right? It's it's comfortable. It's easy. And if you've been successful at it, it's even harder to justify changing. Like, why would I change? I'm the, we're the largest in our industry. We're number one on every metric that you want to measure. And we've been doing it the same way for 30 years. So why would we change the way that we're doing it? The reason why you need to change is because your competition they're not doing it the same way you were 30 years ago. They're born in the cloud. They're mobile and cloud first, and they're going to go eat your lunch. And by the time you realize it, it's going to be too late for you to fix it. So your people need to get on board. Your people need to understand that you don't want to be Blockbuster when Netflix shows up. You don't want to be the taxi company when Uber shows up. You want to make sure that you're out innovating your competition. You don't have to buy them or gobble them up somehow to or even try to fight them legally like the cabs are trying to do with Uber, right? And it's just it just doesn't work. You're not even it's so sad when I see what the taxi companies are trying to do against Uber because they don't even understand the problem. You don't even understand why you're losing, right? You're losing because the experience on Uber is so much better. The ease of getting a cab is so much easier. And you're sitting here trying to ban them from certain areas because you don't even understand how to fight back because your people just don't see that it's technology and the innovation that they brought that made that a better service. And so it's really important to get your people on board. That is hands down the, the, the problem that I see. Most people claim to be agile. They're not, right? They, they, they might have daily stand-ups that are an hour long, which is already a smell, and then they don't do retrospectives all the time, and they might have a sprint review when they have something to show. So they have they know all the words, but they, they've never been agile all day in their life, but they claim to be. So we know the process. But the problem that the reason their process isn't working is goes back to the people, right? The people didn't take the time to get educated and understand how that process is supposed to be run and why those rituals are the way that they are, and that, that if you skip a ritual, you're also skipping all the value that comes with that ritual, right? There's a reason that they have all those meetings. There's a reason that those meetings are time box. Unless your people understand that, no matter what process you use, it's going to fail. And what they try to do then is they try to augment the process with products so that they can try to force their people into doing it. But again, it goes back to the people again. If the people don't use the products, don't take the time to learn how to use the products. You're basically just throwing money at a problem that you can't fix with money. you got to fix the people. Uh, so that's my hands down the most difficult thing in the world to fix when you're trying to implement DevOps is the people's mindset. I would agree with that 100%. And that's the one struggle I have when I talk to customers the most is, Getting them to understand that sometimes you don't even have the right people and you need to recognize that you don't have the right people. And either you have two cho choices, either upskill those people or, or find new people. Yeah, uh, and true. those are hard decisions you got to make as, a, as an owner. And I mean, people, they get kind of repulsed when I say that because there's like you're, you're telling me I should fire my people. And that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you need to make sure that the people you have, like you say, are, are the correct people for that per particular position that you're in. So. Correct. And you don't necessarily, I agree with you, trust me, I get the same knee-jerk reaction. I've literally said fire in meetings and on stage, right? So I am, and so I'm that guy that scares people a lot. And you don't necessarily have to fire them, but you do need to educate them. And they need to be open to being educated. And a lot of people aren't. If they're not willing to go read the books, go get certified, go get trained, then they're just a, they're just wasting your time and everyone else's time. And there's something needs to be done with that particular individual. But you need to be educated, right? And for example, when if you've ever done Agile, the product owner, I think, is one of the hardest roles to fill because they have to understand what's more important 
than something else to all of our stakeholders. And too many people wear that as a badge of honor. I'm the product owner, but have no idea what it actually takes to be a good product owner and what it means to go do the research to make sure they truly are in priority order. And finding the right people, as you put it, is really, really difficult. And they have someone there that used to be a program manager who just thought it was naturally that I should be the product owner, but hasn't done zero research to go figure out what it means to be a really good citizen in a, in a scrum team or an agile team, and they're just holding the entire team back. So uh, I agree with you. People is the hardest part, and sometimes you got to make tough decisions, but they shouldn't have to be. If your people would just get on board and get educated, no one would have to get fired. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I got a question. I'm going to go off the rails, and, and as, of course, we do. Uh, Ready? All, the third question or already going? Yeah, well. <laughs> we uh, got three questions in. <laughs> the, one of the things that, that gets thrown at me is separation of concerns. You know, we can't have our developers doing releases because the separation of concerns. Is, is that just old think or – no, not necessarily. Now, I, what I would do is I would go back in and I would tease that apart. What does doing a release actually mean, right? Does that mean that the developer can't commit code that starts the release? Or does that mean that the developer who committed the code that started the release cannot be the last approver into production? At which point, I'd probably agree with you. Depending on the regulations that you're in, the industry that you're in, it might be one of those rounding error bugs that this person is trying to introduce. If I'm the developer who realizes that I can exploit this if I can commit the code and then pr promote it into production, and now I'm a billionaire because I've been stealing the surrounding error, that's obviously a problem. But doing a release could also mean the developer commits the code, but it has to go through a pull request of its peers, right? And now you got to be in cahoots with everybody that's going to be getting a rounding error. And then it has to get all the way into production, which means it has to go through several different approvals that that individual cannot be one of them, right? Which what you're doing is you're reducing the likelihood of getting this orchestrated effort to go do something wrong, right? There's so many checks and balances. So what I would do is go back in and say, what are you really saying, right? Is not doing the release a solution to a problem you haven't told me? Because if you explain the problem to me, then I can go and show you how we can go ahead and automate that with any tool chain that you have today. So having approvals does not mean manually deploying software, the developer doesn't have rights to a particular folder, any of that kind of nonsense. It means having the right checks and balances in place to make sure that when that commit happens, it's validated before it actually gets into production. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's great. And okay. I have to, you know, you've been watching Office Space much again recently? Not, not recently. <laughs> okay. But I have seen it. <laughs> All right. Um, going back on the rails, Josh, did you have uh, any questions? As a matter of fact, I do. Uh, one thing I'm curious about is, you know, as DevOps has become a very hot topic, has, has any of the shininess or luster worn off of, of DevOps as we've kind of progressed over the past few years? If it has, I would not have been on the road 295 days last year, right? And I could probably be on the road every day this year if I wanted to. It's still an enormously powerful topic. It's a hot topic because people are realizing that that's how you win. I've, I've been quoted as saying that the time to debate if you should or should not implement DevOps is over. You either implement DevOps or you lose. And I believe that 100%. Your if you are being out-innovated, out-deployed by all your competition, people simply do not have patience for that anymore. Look at them. I think the mobile phone environment is like one of the best examples of that. For every app on your phone, there's probably another dozen of them in the store that wants to do the exact same thing for you. We have zero tolerance and patience for an app that doesn't get updated to keep up with the trends, that crashes my phone. I will literally uninstall you, give you a one-star rating, and go grab someone else, and I'll never be back again. It's such a fierce 
landscape to compete in, and you got to be firing on all cylinders to be able to compete in that world. You can't take days to deploy a fix. You need to be doing that in hours. You can't be taking months to give me an update or put out new software. That needs to be happening in days. Everything has to happen faster because we're in this immediate gratification. Like, I need it instantly. I need it right now. I'm mad when I get overnight shipping. I'm like, why can't I have it in an hour? Like, why do I have to wait till tomorrow, right? That's the kind of mindset that we have. And only DevOps is enabling companies to move at the speed that's able to just satisfy this demand that they're getting from their, their constituents, their competition, and their users. So, no, I haven't seen any any slowdown whatsoever. I've been getting asked to talk about the DevOps transformation that we've gotten here, taken here at Microsoft more than any other talk that I've given. Um, there's no demos in that talk, right, which is also interesting. I don't get on stage and whiz-bang you with hours of demos. It's like I'm just going to talk to you about how Microsoft – went from shipping every three years to every three weeks, and they're on the edge of their seats. They can't get enough of it. And I get more questions after that demo than any other demo that I do. Where would you say DevOps is in its you know, standard adoption phase? I think it's still relatively early, right? Because I'm getting asked, how do we get started, Donovan? How do we get started? This is what we have in place. How can we fix this part? So it's not where I go in there and they're like, all right, Donovan, we're at the nth degree. What else can we add to our pipeline? Because we already have security. We already have databases. We already have security scans. We already have all this stuff in there. What can we do next? I'm not there. No one's there yet. Right. They're all like, Donovan, this is where we are, and this is what hurts. How can you help us fix that? So there's a lot of people wanting to hear the story of how we do it because they're about to start that journey themselves. And I also people I found that love to hear the story of how we transition are people who are in it and they're failing. And it feels good to them to realize that, don't worry, Microsoft failed too. It took us a long time to get to where we are. This isn't something that you just install and you're done. right? DevOps is not, <laughs> despite the name of our product, right. DevOps is not a product. right? You do not buy DevOps and install it and you're done. It's a, it's a methodology. It's a mindset. It's, it's a lot that goes into making sure that your company can move the way that it moves. And sometimes it takes re-architecting your software. It takes a lot of different changes that people are starting to realize. So I still think we're very early on. There are some really great examples of people doing it really, really well, and that number is starting to increase. We're getting a lot of fast, faster developments. We're all starting to see the benefits of it, but I think there's a lot of people who haven't even started yet. So one of my, my next question was going to be, you know, what advice do you have for a dev or dev team who wants to get started doing DevOps? But first, I want to make my, I think, first or second stupid statement, <laughs> uh, measure value. I, I don't know why that hasn't truly clicked until now, okay. but uh, you know, I, one of the things that I, I whine about on the show quite often, and I probably even with you last time we were on, is that you know we only do the dev o part. We don't do the ps. We only take it halfway there. And I've been trying to encourage telemetry. I've been trying to encourage um, logging. I've been trying to encourage to design our apps to be supportable. But it was on deaf ears. And people essentially stopped listening to me. And that's why, because I was not singing the right song. I wasn't giving the right message. It's not we need to you know, do telemetry because that's what you do in DevOps. It's we need to do telemetry because that's how we measure and you know, track the value that we are delivering. And it's right. that value part. One of the other things is how do I get IT involved? How do we get them to break down the silos on it? Well, it's not the silo. It's not the product that you're delivering. It's the value of right. that product. And I, I can totally see how... How could you not get behind that? Correct. Right. And but what's interesting is that 
what you just said is kind of like the answer to the question you're about to ask. How do companies go ahead and get started? I think one of the mistakes you might have made is that you were trying to convince them with words, right? Just go do it. Right? That's how you get started with DevOps. You don't go create a PowerPoint. You don't go read a book. You don't go and try to get this great presentation where I can go in and, and everyone's going to be carrying me on their shoulders after my demo and now we're going to go do DevOps because you're, it's going to be on deaf ears nine times out of ten because just like I said, people don't want to change. And I always tell this story, and I, I've had this happen in a conference, and it's crazy. 2018, I'll get on stage and I'll say, raise your hand if you are a dev that is in a team that does not have continuous integration. Hands always go up. It's 2018, and there are teams out there who are deving that do not have continuous integration. To me, that is just unfathomable. I cannot believe that I have not asked that question yet and not had a single hand go up. They always go up. And then I say... Is, have you tried to do it before? And they all say, yeah, I talked to them. I, I tried to convince them that it was important, but w they wouldn't give me the time to go do it. And then I, and I'll do a demo. In less than right. 10 minutes, I'll have an entire CI system up. And I'm like, do you really have to go ask permission to pen, spend 10 minutes to go set up a CI system? I said, do me a favor. Everyone who raised their hand that does not have CI, when you get back to work, just set it up. Don't ask anyone for permission. Don't try to convince them with words. Just go set up CI. Because the cool thing about CI is no one on your team will even know that you did it. That's the beauty of it, right? Why do I have to go ask permission to go do something that doesn't impact anybody? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to work, and I'm going to set up a continuous integration system against whatever repository we're currently using today. And everyone on my team is just going to keep committing into that repository. And I also said to everybody, I said, every one of you that raised your hand has come into work one day, done a get latest, and been broken because someone else on your team checked in code and did not know that the DLL is only on their machine. They forgot to check it in, or they forgot to add the NuGet package, and now everyone else in the organization is broken. I said, if you go back to work and set up continuous integration, you will be the only one in your organization that knows that the build is broken. And what's going to happen is they're going to come into work, everyone's going to do a get latest, and half the company is going to be around the water cooler table, around the coffee machine, bitching and moaning about Donovan Brown breaking the build again. But you won't be there. They're going to be like, where's Jeff? Why isn't Jeff over here? Oh, Jeff's, he's at his desk. Jeff, didn't you do a get latest? like, hell no, I didn't do a get latest. Donovan broke the bill. He's like, yeah, but how did you know that? Oh, the CI system told me. What's the CI system? Now, you've completely changed the conversation, right? They're instantly seeing the results of a CI system. Like, hey, can I, can I get in on that? Can I monitor that? Can I get a notification? Sure. Just go here, register for a notification. Every time the bill breaks, you'll get an email, and you'll know not to do a get latest. Wow. Why haven't we had this before? Exactly. So change the entire conversation. You need telemetry in your code. Why are you trying to convince people how important telemetry is? Be the first developer that adds telemetry to your feature. And then when you come back and you're having a status report or a meeting, like, man, 55,000 people use my page. How the hell do you know that? Oh, I added telemetry to it. So every time someone accesses my page, I get to see that telemetry. Holy crap. Now all of a sudden you're getting the big bonus because it looks like you've done more work. There could be pages out there getting 50 times more hits than you do, but there's no telemetry to prove it. And next thing you know, your other teammates are going to want to have that same visibility. So stop trying to convince people with words and start convincing them with results. Just go do the right thing for your company, and you're going to completely change the conversation that you're having with them. Because it goes from a trying to convince them to, holy crap, that's awesome. How do I, do, how do I get and do more of that? And that dovetails well into Paul's next question. Yeah, and before I even jump into my next question is I just want to kind of add to that is that, you know, I, I am so on board with that philosophy because of the fact that when I talk to customers, they're, they're so scared about de doing DevOps because they don't know how to or the book says or this or we can't convince or whatever. And, and I always try to tell my 
folks that I'm talking to, whether it be customers or developers or, or executives even, um, is especially the executives, is DevOps is not magic. People think DevOps is this magic thing that you that happens. And and it's not. It's just doing. It's just pick something and iterate. If it doesn't work, great, move on, you know? So um I, I really appreciate like that that whole philosophy of just just go do it, you know. It, it Yeah, and to kind of dovetail on what you're saying there too, I think another thing that people get fearful of I remember there's actually it, it got caught on tape once. So Greg, you're not the only person I go off on, by the way. So, so <laughs> once I was actually on stage. I forget I was somewhere overseas, and I just done this entire demonstration and this great presentation on on DevOps. And someone raises their hand and says, "Well, Donovan, this is all great, but how do I go get permission to do this?" And I lose it. I mean, I literally just lose it. I'm like, permission. Ask permission to do your job. Do you ask permission to write every line of code that you write? It's your job to be efficient. I, I just like lose it on this person. I'm like, I don't understand how you're asking me to go do your job. And then I realized their mindset was they're going to go back to work and they're going to try to get three or four months of permission to not do anything but figure this out. Right? It's like, ah, okay, now I get it. Right? You're thinking you're going to you're not going to produce any value for months as you go off and try to figure out how to do DevOps for your organization. And like, yeah, you would have to go get permission to do that. But what if you just did one piece at a time, and it only took you 10 to 15 minutes to try it out? Would you have to go get permission to do that? It's like, no. It's like, then go back to work tomorrow and add continuous integration. After you get that working. Add unit testing to it. After you get that working, add piece by piece slowly because you're never going to get it right. You're going to have to, like as Paul just said, you're going to have to iterate on some of this stuff, right? It's not going to work quite the way. You're going to try Terraform or you're going to try ARM templates, and then you're going to switch to the other one, and maybe the Azure CLI is a little bit better for infrastructure as code. Go ahead and iterate on just one small part of it. That only takes 10 to 20, maybe 30 minutes a day for you to iterate over and then put that away and then go do your job. So you're going to still be hitting your sprint goals. You're still going to be producing value. But what's going to happen months from now is producing that value is going to be even easier because more and more of your daily work is going to be automated, right? Get that toil out of your way and you don't have to do it all at once. So you should not have to go ask permission to take 15 minutes out of your day. Trust me, you blow more than 15 minutes of your day right now checking Twitter and all the other social media outlets that we do. Just one day, check Twitter one one time less and go set up a CI system for yourself instead. It's just going to reap so many more benefits. So do one small thing. I, I think I always say focus on what hurts the most. Don't go for the easy, cheap, easy wins. Let's go get some quick wins. No, the quick wins don't have any impact on anyone. No one's even going to notice that you did that. Go fix the thing that hurts the most, but just that one thing. So many people already have tool chains or products that they use today. And I always tell people, no matter how mature you are in your DevOps pipeline, there's one portion of it that gives you anxiety. And you're like, ooh, if it's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong right there. Because that's the, that's the part we have the most trouble with. We kind of got our branching strategy figured out pretty good. We got our continuous integration firing on all cylinders. But, man, when we try to deploy into dev, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Whatever that part is that hurts the most, that's where I want you to focus. Don't go rip and replace your CI system. Don't go rip and replace your source control system if it's working or your telemetry if the only part that hurts right now is your deployment. Let's go fix your deployment, and then we'll go back in and look at what's the bottleneck now that we fix that painful part because, trust me, something else will be the thing that's slowing you down. Focus on that. And what I've realized is that when you iterate over this, sometimes you revisit the same area more than once. We fix our branching strategy, or no, let's just do something else. We fix our CI system, right? And then we go and we fix our deployment. And then we realize our CI system is holding us back now because we have more microservices or something got more complicated. It's okay to go back and revisit an area of your DevOps pipeline that you've already visited in the past. You want to go focus on what hurts the most. So along that then, so how 
How do customers then, or what would you suggest to customers or businesses um, that want to go more towards that um, DevOps culture, um, especially when it comes to the culture piece of it? Um, because you, we were talking about, you know, implementing and doing and all this. But when an executive says, okay, how do I go about changing my culture, Donovan? What suggestions would you have for them? Again, it would be aligning their, their motivation and their objectives, making sure that everyone in that organization is striving towards the exact same goal and that you don't have competing initiatives in your organization, you might not even realize that your teams view their charters the way that they do. Let's make sure we have a crystallized goal as an organization, a mission as an organization, so that we can go back in and drive towards, as a company, towards that mission. And that. And it should be delivering value to your end users, right? We obsess over our, our customers here at Microsoft. It's something that Sachi has been instilling in us from the very beginning, and that we know is a common goal. Let's go obsess over our customers and make them successful. And your company needs to have that that North Star, that very clear mission that drives everyone. Because if they don't, the cultures are never going to coalesce. They're never going to align because the way I'm incentivized or what I believe our mission is is drastically different than someone else. It's sort of similar to having a written-down definition of done. Right? If you're on an Agile or a Scrum team and you've never written down your DOD, everyone thinks the definition of done is different. And now you're never going to be driving towards a common pipeline, a common methodology, a common motion of, of getting software done because I don't think unit testing is part of definition of done. So you always wonder why my code has so many bugs in it. It's because I never write unit tests because I didn't know that was part of our DOD. So have that clear crystal direction and your culture is going to form around ways to achieve that goal. We have too many conflicting goals in organizations today, in my opinion. So uh, last time we were on, we talked about your uh, uh, dislike of how people are use, extending DevOps with new and additional TLAs like DevSecOps and DevDBA SecOps and you know, yeah. uh, all that. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> I remember that tirade too. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, to me, the reason that that got, I think I might have said this last year too, is like the reason that that kind of rubs me the wrong way is that if, you, if we keep changing the terminology, we have DevOps, we have database DevOps, we have mobile DevOps, and we have DevSecOps. I'm like, okay, are those five different pipelines? Right? Do I have a DevSecOps pipeline? Do I have a DevOps pipeline? And do I have a database DevOps pipeline that's completely different than the other three pipelines? You better say no. Right? That's the only answer. It's like, no, we deploy our solution as a unit. I'm exactly right. If your pipeline needs security in it, then it should just have security in it. If you need to be running Bolt or, or white source against your, your code to make sure, or you need to be running TwistLock or Aqua against your containers to make sure they're secure, you better be doing that. And that's not going to be in a separate pipeline than the pipeline that I'm running my source code through or my application through or my infrastructure through or my mobile app through. I have an application where it has a mobile part, it has infrastructure's code, a database, it has web services, it has Docker images in it. I don't have five pipelines. I have one pipeline. And everything gets built packaged version and deployed as a unit, including the security scanning and the auditing, the pin testing, the load testing, the integration testing, all happens in one pipeline. So the reason I have a little bit of a problem with all the just plug in whatever you want between dev and ops and have created a new word is that I think it's putting the wrong message out there that it's a completely separate concern. It's a completely separate discipline that's tangent to the DevOps pipeline that we normally do. And you'll notice this. I'm going to be on a podcast talking about the state of DevOps report for databases. And the reason that it's really important for me to be involved there is because it's not separate from DevOps. It is part of DevOps. And as companies mature, I realize that they add more and more to the DevOps pipeline. And databases where a lot of people are starting to mature to, they got the front end deploying pretty regularly. That's no problem. And they might not be doing infrastructure as code because they're on bare metal and that infrastructure 
doesn't change very often, but their database is still these dirty little scripts that they run them on like behind the scenes, right? You have this beautiful pipeline that they keep touting as they were doing DevOps, but if you ask them how they do their database deployments, they're still running manual scripts inside of SMS, SSMS, which is clearly not the way you want to do that. And what I've realized is that they're starting to gain confidence in the pipeline. They're starting to gain confidence in automation, and now they want to add more and more to that automation, including the database, security scans, things like that. So to me, it's not a separate discipline. It's just a maturity. And as you mature with DevOps, you seem to add more and more to your pipeline. That's why I kind of have this like, like an allergic reaction to all these little acronyms that are coming up. It's like, no, it's just DevOps. It's, it's all supposed to be in there. Security, database, mobile, containers, all of it. Okay, I'm going to go off the rails again because what you brought up okay. there was something that my boss – I asked my boss earlier today, what questions should I have for Donovan Brown? And he says, you know what? That name sounds familiar. I'm like, oh, God. But anyway, um, <laughs> he, he was talking – we do uh, dev DBA ops. Uh, all of our uh, dev QA staging production releases – for 90% of our app database apps all go, we have them in SQL projects, we use SQL Server data tools, we use deployment that way, and it all seems to work until it doesn't. We have a data warehouse, it's very large, and SQL Server data tools doesn't work with that, so unfortunately they're using SQL Server management scripts, and invariably they'll forget to apply security uh, to that. Um, where is, I don't know what the question was. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 it's looking like, you know, there's state-based, which is SQL Server data tools, and then there's uh, migration-based, migration. Migration yeah. you know, like Red Hat. Not Red Hat. Um, no, uh, Red, Red Gate. Gate. Red Gate. Red Ready Red Roll. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I guess the right answer is that use the, use the right tool for the right problem. Yeah, there's a lot of them out there, right? Yeah. There's Liquibase, there's Flyway, there's Red Gate tools like um, Ready Roll, there's state-based deployment. And it's funny because this this comes up a lot. This came up in a meeting I had right before this call uh, about where do you draw that line of do we agree or don't agree? I'm on the, I love SSDT. I've been a huge fan of it. I've been using it for a long, long time. And I think that's why I've been so successful with it. And it's funny when you kind of get into that, that mode of development early on, it kind of guides the way that you shape your database for, for better or for worse. <laughs> but what happens is, is that you kind of guide the, the design to, to, to work with the tools that you've chosen, yeah. right? So I've chosen SSDT, and I make sure that all my changes are checked into source control, and I use Visual Studio to do that, and I test it, and it always grows up well with me. Now, I will apply SSDT to a legacy database that has had all kinds of horrible practices baked inside of it. It won't scale very well, right? Because it kind of makes these assumptions, uh, and it's kind of opinionated on what good database design is. Yeah. And if you deviated too far from that, the tool starts to fall down. I completely agree. Now, and migration base might be a better approach for you at that point because you're like, all right, this is where we are. I just need to be able to automate where we need to go next. I don't need to have this current state in version control, but I need to have the next in version control somehow. And migrations are really good at, oh, you just need to make these cool modifications or these quick modifications, but you don't need to reprovision this monster that is current state. Then migrations work really well in that scenario because to do it with a state base, you pretty much have to bring in that initial state so that it can then diff against that particular state where migrations are a little bit more flexible that way. So you're right. The answer is you need to choose which one works best for you. But I think the fundamental goal 
when you're doing DevOps with your databases, when you start to incorporate that, is that you need to have some actionable files that are in source control that you act upon in an automated fashion. That is what's most important. I don't care if it's a migration script or if it's a database project, but I need to be able to go and do a get latest and deploy everything, the, the code, the database, the schema, the changes, the metadata, everything. And that's our goal. If you want to choose migrations, knock yourself out. If you want to go with state-based, more power to you, and there's lots of options out there, both paid and open source. Paul, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to jump in front of you. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so I guess my question for you, Donovan, now is what's next for DevOps? Okay, so we're here. We've been talking about it for a couple of years now. What's next? What's next is finding other areas where we can apply these DevOps best practices, right? For example, AI and ML, it's a, it's a great exciting time to be involved in that, but I haven't seen a lot of great best practices for, for DevOps. I haven't seen any example pipelines where someone's taken a model and retrained it as part of their, their actual deployment, right? We need to go figure that stuff out. Mobile used to be that, right? If you'd asked me this two years ago, I would have said mobile's the next frontier, right? We didn't have things like App Center. We didn't have ways of doing great mobile testing as part of your DevOps pipeline. Without tools like Hockey App, we didn't have ways of actually deploying our beta bits, but we figured all that stuff out. If you're writing software, I believe DevOps best practices apply. Source control best practices, that applies no matter what type of software you're writing. Continuous integration yields benefits no matter what type of software. I don't care the language, and I don't care what you're, you're deploying it to. I don't even have to understand the language, but I know that if you compile it right after a developer's made a change and identify errors or, or issues that need to be resolved, the quicker you do that, the cheaper it is for us to fix. And you want to automate as much of your deployment as possible. And if your deployment looks different because, like I said, you're training a model before you go and deploy this new Python version of your AI ML application, that's great. Let's go figure out how to automate that. So I think what's next for DevOps is finding out how we can apply these best practices, which we've proven with web apps and, and fat client applications, to more types of software, be it AI and ML, IoT. The, the, we're writing so much cool software today, but not all of them are using these DevOps best practices in their pipelines, and that's what I'm looking for. So I have people on my team literally going off and learning all they can about ML and AI and how to apply DevOps best practices to it. I'm constantly being asked about Power BI and how do I then apply DevOps best practices to Power BI. I'm looking at people are asking me about SAP. People are asking me about all these different systems where they're writing custom software and how do we then go apply these same best practices to those environments. And I'm a firm believer that anything that you can do from a command line, I can help you automate. So I asked my first question is, how do you do it today? Right? Hopefully it's not a person going into a portal, but you're running some scripts or you're running some type of, you're exploiting some type of API that they have exposed to you on that other side. I'm like, great, let's go off and figure out how we can exploit those APIs and call those CLIs for you in an automated fashion through an actual automated process. So what's next right now, again, on our horizon is Power BI, AI and ML and IoT or, or things that I actually have people on my team going off and investigating for me. Nice. So I have a question. Sure. What are, some of you, what are some of your favorite resources to help people get started on the DevOps journey? Well, that's a good question. Um, actually, docs.microsoft.com has come a long way. I don't know if you've seen it lately, but the docs, what's really cool about it is you don't have to go to MSDN for some information and then to a different help system. All of our help is now in docs.microsoft.com, and there's a lot of good literature there on how to use Azure DevOps, not only from a technical level, but from just a philosophical level. We also have resources that tell you how we went through our journey here at Microsoft as well. And I want to be very clear, these journeys that we're describing to people, they're not how to use our products. It's more about these are the best practices, these are our learning, 
that this is a way that we learned about applying these DevOps best practices. So they're they're tool agnostic, they're product and industry agnostic. They're just good resources for you to go back in and and learn from. Another thing is my team itself, right? The, the league is really, really active on Twitter. We're more than happy to go write blog posts, point you at existing blog posts, go create video content for you. I've seen some great shows on Pluralsight, on Wintelect. Uh, even LinkedIn Learning has great content. So there's no limit to the places that I would encourage you to go and find resources. Go look up old conference videos from Ignite and Build and Techarama and some of the other places that post their content online after the event is over and start finding people that you can reach out to. We're all highly accessible. So if you have a question over something that I said in one of my presentations, just find me on Twitter and, and ask me. And I, and I love when you ask me publicly. You don't have to DM me because when, I, when you ask me publicly, you're going to make it other people feel comfortable asking us questions. And you're probably going to be asking a question that a lot of people have. And now I get to answer it once for everybody. And another thing, when you ask me publicly, it, it, it brings attention not only to my team, but to other people at Microsoft who watch the hashtag that my team uses or watches the tweets or follows my team members. They're going to go ahead and jump in. The Azure DevOps actual account follows my team. And whenever you ask us a question, you're pretty much asking them a question as well. So I, there's no limit to the resources, right? But I, I do watch videos. I watch conferences. I use tools like Pluralsight. I've read a lot of good books, right? And I appreciate you sending me the book that you just sent me as well. It was really cool to get that. Uh, so, I mean, books are another great resource to go back in and and, and get, get involved. But what I would tell you to do is just try it, right? You know what hurts in your organization. You know if you don't have continuous integration or not. Just go try to start implementing it, and then your questions and your resources are just going to reveal themselves. Awesome. So you mentioned videos and conferences, and I know that you also mentioned that you're you're about to head out for a while on the road. Um, do you have any scheduled talks, videos, or user groups coming up that, that folks should know about? So the best place to go is to our league's website. So the, it's just loecda.com, and there's a talks page. And if you go to the talks page, you can actually see where all of us are speaking. So all five of us have all of our future dates. Mine are this year are light on purpose, right? I'm trying to minimize them. So if you do want to come see me speak and you see me pop up someplace, I probably won't be coming back to that place more than once this year, unlike last year where I was everywhere multiple times. So the talks page of the league's website is the best place to see where any of the league members are going to be speaking coming forward. Um, I'm going over to Germany here soon. And I believe where will it be after that? There's a chance I'll be in England this year. We're, we're still trying to figure that out. And obviously South America, uh, I'll touch that and all across the U.S. So, But just keep an eye out there. Uh, there's some DevOps days who want me to come and speak at them, and we're still trying to figure out if the dates work. And if you want to see me speak somewhere, definitely reach out to organizers and, and, and let them know so that they can get on get on my radar and we can start trying to figure out dates that'll work. And what's the best way for people to contact you? Twitter is number one way, man. You'd be surprised. Email is the worst way to get a hold of me. Twitter <laughs> is the number one way to get a hold of me. Just tweet at me. Hey, Donovan, we're interested in you doing X, Y, Z. I mean, I've, I've gotten so many conference invites right from Twitter. And if we need to take it offline, I'll definitely DM you afterwards. But it's it's interesting. Like, oh, cool. And then all of a sudden, you'll see people like, oh, Donovan's going to come to this conference. I'm like, I guess I'm coming now because like, the interest was so so visceral that, that obviously this is a place I need to be if there's that much interest in me getting me there. So literally, Twitter is a good way of gauging if even people care that I'll be at that particular event or not, for not only for me, but for you as well as the organizer. Cool. So that's at D-O-N-O-V-A-N-B-R-O-W-N, at Donovan Brown. Correct. That cool. is correct. All right. Well, we've got two questions for you, but but first, sure. there's a tip. Uh, we're kind of running low on time, but there's uh, something that I've been seeing in the ALM uh, champs list and something that confused me for a second, too. Uh, if you are 
creating your new agent, you know, Nick, creating a new private agent because you can run some builds on-prem or in a VM somewhere that, that you own, uh, and you go to the download page. Before December, for Windows, there was one option. Starting in December, there were two options, 32-bit, 64-bit. And for me, I got confused as to which one should I use? Is it kind of like the Office 64 versus 32-bit questions? You know, you pick them for the extensions or what? Uh, no, the guidance is is that when you download a Windows agent, match the version, the, uh, the bitness to your OS bitness. If you're running Correct. X64 OS, get this X64 agent. And just be careful but that by default right now, the X86 version is selected. So it's really easy to just see all the agents there, download it, and start doing stuff and, and finding out that it doesn't work. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, no, you definitely want to match your OS, right? There's some people yeah. who uh, – what we were realizing is that Azure DevOps – especially the pipelines portion of it, is gaining so much traction and so much visibility for a lot of open source projects that still support x86 that we needed to make sure you could build on any platform that you want. Our agent runs on Mac, Windows, and Linux, and now runs on 64-bit and, and, and x86 so that you can target those legacy applications. You can rub DevOps on anything, right? Visual Basic, I, I got challenged once, and could you do it with Visual Basic? And I went off and I did VB6. Right? I, I, there's actually a blog post on how to do this with VB6. There's this cool blog post that's going around right now where someone did it on a Commodore 64. Yeah. Right? He literally created an Azure DevOps pipeline for uh, for Commodore 64. I've seen people do it for Raspberry Pis. I'm saying all that to say that we have to have agents that will run correctly on all those different platforms so that we can allow you to enable that um, those best practices for any software. Cool. So now a question from uh, my boss. Another question. He taught, We already talked about cool. the database question. The next one is 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 – the statement he said is DevOps feels squishy. Is there, should there even be more prescriptive guidance on how, on, on what DevOps is? You know, Scrum, there's a prescription on, here's what you do. But for DevOps, there, there's less so. Oh, it's interesting. No, that's, a, that's actually a good question. I remember I was in Denmark and I got cornered by a customer and he said, Donovan, we've never, we haven't done any of this. Where do we get started? And my answer was, start with what hurts most. He's like, nope, that's not good enough. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, it's different for every customer. He's like, nope, I need to know exactly where to start. Where do I start? I'm like, I can't tell you that. It, it, literally, it's all different for everyone. He's like, no, Donovan, tell me what you do. So right there on the spot, I just start spouting. I, I said to myself, okay, let me imagine you are the worst you're in the worst possible shape you could possibly be in. Like, what, And I thought to myself, what does that company look like? It's a company writing software that doesn't even use source control today. Like, And believe it or not, there are companies who do not use source control that are big companies. I'm like, okay, if you're sitting in that scenario, step number one, get source control in place. Right? That's what you need to do. Stop using file share. Stop using version folder numbers. Go get your software in proper version control. I don't care if it's Git or centralized. Just get it off these individuals' machines and all of these file shares and start versioning your software. Next thing I would do is source control. And I just started rattling off. Like, if you were in the worst possible shape, this is what I would tell you to do. It's like, where is that written down? I'm like, written down? Dude, I just made that up. Like, I think it's not written down anywhere. I'd like, you forced me to give me an answer. He's like, I need that written down. I'm like, all right, fine. So on the flight home from Europe, I wrote this blog post. It says, if you are in the worst possible shape, this is where I would start. And what you need to do as an individual is choose where are you. If you already have source control, you can skip the first one, right? If you already have continuous integration, you can probably skip that one too. And basically, I was saying, if you are in the worst possible way, and that's the most prescriptive I've ever been, and it's actually a blog on DonovanBrown.com. I think I think it's like how to get started with DevOps. If you go find that blog post, that's about the most prescriptive I've ever seen one. This is if pick where you are in this ladder and just keep working your way down. What was even better about that blog post was the comments that came after. 
Right. So there's a huge list of comments from people I respect very much in our industry saying, you know what, Donovan, I think I would move uh, monitoring up a little bit higher. And, and they gave justifications on why. And so I would go there and just start with pick where you are on that ladder and start from there down and then still revisit the things that you think you've already done, because you'd be surprised on how much we've learned. I was looking at code I wrote four years ago. It was fourteen hundred lines of code that when I looked at it last night, I refused factored it into 700 lines of code. So it's amazing just over a period of time how you need to go back and revisit some of the things that you've done in the past because you're better at it now and there's probably more efficient ways of doing it. But pick, you read that blog post, pick where you are in that blog post and start from there. And it's, it's pretty prescriptive of, of what you should do. Now, I have to laugh because I, I guess I asked the same question last show and I'm looking at the blog post that you wrote. How do we get started with DevOps? The, the exact one that we had already linked. It's I guess it's great that your gotcha. answer really hasn't changed. <laughs> it, it, it hasn't because it, it, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know how it would have changed by now, right? The technology's changed, but the best practices don't. And that's why best practices, when they're really, really well architected and really well thought out, they, they, they're timeless, right? They just last. Source control, best practice, full stop, right? Continuous integration. Can't imagine a time in my life where continuous integration will be a bad idea. Right where we go back and like, man, what were we thinking about making sure the developers had instant access to their failed builds? Like, what were we thinking? Like, I can't imagine that ever being something that I say. Right, so these best practices are best practices because they're tried, they're true, and they're they're going to stand the test of time as we move forward. So my answer is still the same. And what's so scary is that blog post. Some people are going to resonate with the very first step, and that scares the crap out of me. Like, how are you reading this in 2019 and you don't have source control? Right, that just that just blows my mind. But it's, it's it happens everywhere. All right. So I, the next one, we actually at last show we put out a request for questions, and right. uh, Robin Martin re replied. He gave us both a voicemail and the written version. Robin, thank you very much for that. I'm going to try to edit in the voicemail. Hi, Greg and Donovan. My question is a feature request. In Azure Pipelines, can you please enhance the Get Sources task? to allow a source version to be specified in the build definition. In TFS 2018 Update 2, we can only specify the source version when queuing a build. We need to specify the source version in the build definition so that we can specify a TFVC label name. Why do we need to do this? Before DevOps was an industry term and before Git was everywhere, all we had was TFVC, XAML builds, and PowerShell. We built an automated build and deployment system with the tools we had at the time. Branches are hard in TFVC, and we want to stay on the main line as much as possible. So TFVC labels became very valuable for us. We automatically create a release candidate label every night and build and deploy all of our services and applications from it for testing the next day. Once a week, we automatically promote our release candidate label to a full release label, build all of our production services and applications from that label, and then automatically deploy them to production. The only thing preventing us from moving from XAML builds to the new build system is the fact that we can't specify a label name in the get sources task. I created a feature suggestion for this at developercommunity.visualstudio.com under Azure DevOps with screenshots. Just search for allow a source version to be specified. Greg and Donovan, thank you so much for all that you do and thank you for considering this request. Interesting. Um, that's this is this is a tricky one, right? Because whenever I go to Stack Overflow and I see someone ask a question and then they get this huge response that doesn't answer the question but just tells them why they're wrong, 
and even asking the question, I hate those responses and I feel like I'm about to give one. Uh, and so I feel a little dirty right now. Um, uh, there's a couple of things that concern me with the current practice that was just described. First of all, labels are not immutable, which means I can go back inside of TFVC and add files to a label that weren't there before. So labels are not guaranteed to be the same when you build from them again or you try to promote them. There's also an anti-pattern in what I just heard where they're building the code multiple times, which is not something that you want to do. You want to build once, deploy many. Because when you relabel the code or you don't label the code correctly or you promote the label and more files are in there than were in there before, or we've all seen the scenario where we're running inside of our IDE and stuff's just not working. You rebuild all and then everything magically starts to work again because every compilation isn't exactly the same. So what I would really prefer that you do is not rebuild the code again and rethink the process altogether to where we build the code, we run it through this testing infrastructure that we now know works, right? We know that these zeros and ones, as they are compiled, are good because we've just tested them. So why in the world would we rebuild them, right? We know these here that I'm holding in my hand are good, but we're going to go build all new ones that we haven't tested yet, even though technically they should be the same. So if they should be the same, why am I rebuilding them again? Let's just take the ones we've already built and deploy those zeros and ones. You can still go and apply a label to what you believe to be the version of the code. And, I, and I'm saying believe to be because, again, those labels are not guaranteed to not to have changed. But you can, re, you can change the label without rebuilding the code and deploy the zeros and ones that you know are good, that you know that you've tested. And then all of a sudden, if you rethink the process of getting your code into production, then I think you might realize that you don't need that feature. And that feature has just been, it, it, it's its almost like a crutch that enables you to continue to do it with multiple builds. And I would highly encourage you not to do that. Uh, I would want you to build it once and deploy multiple times. So I'm not answering your question. I'm almost trying to to, to reason with you and, and, and try to employ like, man, go rethink that process and see if there's a way that you can do it such that you don't have to rebuild the code and that you're not living and dying by labels. You should be having, you should have a binary that's that's an artifact that you built one time that you can then run through your entire pipeline all the way into production. That makes sense? Yes, it does. And Robin, let us know, uh, you know, email at Donovan Brown and let us know what you think about that and why that would or would not work for you. But uh, I yeah, really I'd like to, because that, that's one of the ones that we're going to have to double click on that and kind of drill down into. Yeah. Is this a, because I always ask people like, why do you do it this way? It's like, oh, we've always done it this way. And that to me is code word for, I don't understand how it works. Think about that for a second. If your answer is this is how we've always done it, it means you do not understand that well enough to say these are the reasons that we've always done it this way. That that's the right answer is X, Y, and Z, not we've always done it that way. Because if I truly understand the process and the motivations for why we've always done it this way, my answer won't be we've always done it this way. It'll be X, Y, and Z. And now we can go focus on X, Y, and Z and see if we can eliminate some of those and do it a different way and revisit that. But to me, whenever I hear someone say we've always done it that way, I read between the lines. That means you don't understand how that stuff works. Uh, otherwise, you would be working on ways of making it better than just this is how we've always done it. <laughs> cool. So one, a couple more things I wanted to mention. Um, sure. I wanted to give a shout out to Anisha and her team. Uh, you guys remember when we did the community launch of Azure DevOps, and one of the things that they were talking about are the different events that are happening all over the place. Uh, we did that September 12th, 2018, when we did that show. Well, that's still available. If you have a user group, if you want to present to people and you want some swag, like some t-shirts or some pins, those opportunities are still available to you. So far, they've done 160 confirmed events and estimated to reach 1,300 people. 
So that, that's that's a significant number. And actually about a thousand of those are you listeners. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, the other side is uh, you can find the events that are listed. I'll have the links in all the show notes for this. But if you go aka.ms Azure DevOps events, you can register for your events. Um, and you can start getting some swag. Like I'm looking at this cool DevOps pin that they uh, uh, presented. Now I want to do another one because I really want the, let me see, which one is it? The Azure, or the, I want the .NET pin next to that. And then the Azure pin, then the AWS pin, and then the Linux pin, the Java pin, the Go pin, the Node pin, the Python pin, the Scholar pin, ooh, Scholar pin, Agile pin of the test pin. So all those, you can get it. You know, just have a vent, talk to some people, introduce them to the Azure DevOps. Last one, we don't have enough time for the news, unfortunately. Oh, actually, it's great because, you know, we get Donovan talking and, and we don't have to do hardly anything for the show. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite kind of show. But the one news item I definitely did want to highlight is just today they released RC2 for Azure DevOps Server 2019. And that's a go live license, which means that, that you can upgrade from Azure DevOps Server RC1 or any previous versions of TFS and it's supported and you'll be able to upgrade to RTM or RTW uh, when it's available. And uh, I'll have the links in the show notes for all the different features on it. The, the new features, you know, GitHub Enterprise commits can pull requests to the Azure board work items. You can start using YAML for your builds. That's been available in Azure DevOps service for a while, but server that is new. Draft pull requests, improved branch picker, changes to artifacts and release management, deployment pipeline license, card annotations for bugs. And that includes all the other things that was in RC1, which is a huge list, which I'm not going to go into. But uh, yeah, if you're having Azure DevOps service envy, you're going to want to take a look at <laughs> Azure DevOps server 2019 RC2. The one thing, though, make sure that you look at the requirements. Okay, uh, I don't think, as I'm eyeballing it, much has changed. It's improved because Windows Server 2019 is now supported for DevOps Server 2019. Uh, client operating systems is the same as 2018. What about SQL Server? SQL Server was always the killer. Hey, it's same as TFS 2018. So if you've got TFS 2018 and you're running SQL Server 2016 SP1, you can do Azure DevOps Server 2019 as well. So, but again, go back to this page and make sure, and again, I'll have links in the show notes as to how you can get to that. Uh, Donovan, are you a YAML guy? Can you do YAML? Um, I cheat. So what I do is I, I use the graphical editor, and we have a button that you can click that says show me the YAML. Yes. So what I do is I, I love our graphical user interface, and I want the best of both worlds. So I always author inside of the UI and then I show it and what's really cool is that when you first start you click the big button and it gives you the entire YAML file when you want to go make the modification you can actually tweak just one task and for that task there's also a button that says just show me the YAML for this one task so you're not having to copy and paste the entire YAML every time so that's what I do so I cheat I understand the importance of YAML and that's why I use it and being able to have it as part of my pull request and just in case I need to change it to to pass my pull request, but I love our, our graphical user interface, so I use them both. Good, good. I, I then I don't feel slimy because that's basically what I do too. So yeah, and I'm trying to get them to make it an actual feature to where I don't have to do the export, where I can just load my YAML, see it as a graphical user interface, modify it, and then when I save it, it actually writes the YAML out, right? So I've been I've been working with Chris Patterson and the Azure DevOps team for a while, saying we need to do this, right? I mean. 
we we need to do this. So I, I think they're fine. I think I've nagged them enough to where they're like, just to shut me up, they're probably going to do it for us. So uh, if you like it, you can thank me for, for nagging the team until they, they finally gave in and said they'll do it for you. Awesome. All right, Don, did I forget to ask you anything? Is there something I should have asked you but I didn't? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm, I'm going to mark my calendar for 2020 in January so that we can do this again. Awesome. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for listening to Radio TFS. If you want to get a hold of us, Radio TFS at Outlook.com. We're on Twitter at Radio TFS. We're on Facebook as well, slash Radio TFS. Voicemail. Robin sent us voicemail. I'm going to splice that in. I swear, somehow splice it in so we can hear him do the show. Uh, 1-425-233-8379. Don't write that down. Just look at the show notes descriptions in your catcher or go to the webpage, radiotfs.com. Uh, you can get a hold of Donovan at Donovan Brown. Donovan, thank you very much for coming on the show, my friend. My pleasure. I, it's always an honor. And uh, like I said, I hope we do this again next year. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to Radio TFS. Radio TFS.